How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 152 of X-Lapsed, where, uh, well, we're dealing with a dead man walking today, aren't we? Uh, today, we're going to be kicking off the second half of, uh, I guess we can call it the Cable Maxi series, since it's wrapping up with issue 12. Today is issue 7, so uh, let's hop right in. Now, Cable, volume 4, number 7, had a March 2021 cover date. Stories called Gritty Days in the City of Brotherly Love, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Phil Noto. Letters, VCs Joe Sabino, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits Biso White Sapolsky, cover price $3.99, went on sale January 20 of 2021. Now we open with a mostly blank text page, and this is a quote from Cable about how the past hasn't happened yet. Uh, such is the life of a time traveler, I suppose. Now, the story begins on Krakoa, where a motley assortment of characters are paying their respects to the fallen Gorgon. We can see uh, Grasscutter and the other sword, the Gra- Godkiller, maybe? I don't know. Whatever his swords were, they're, they're, they're for- in a formation of an X, and uh, folks are there to pay their respects. And, of course, you know, Gorgon, he died during X of Tens, and as a matter of fact, it was in the previous issue of this very series. Even though I'm pretty sure we've read somewhere that he was already back and acting strangely. Uh, X-Factor, was it? Well, they're, they're treating this as though he's still dead, so I'm guessing this is uh, when he was still dead. Um, even more curious is the assortment of characters here to pay their respects. We got Cypher, Bay the Blood Moon, Magic... Callisto with her eye patch on the wrong eye, a cuckoo, Quentin Quire, who I'm pretty sure is supposed to be dead, held captive in Russia, or both right now, and Mondo. Okay. Uh, Cable leaves them to mourn because he's got stuff to do, and uh, I don't think it has anything to do with uh, having a great big red spider on his symbiotic chest. Uh, we'll just pretend that hasn't happened yet either. Okay, double page spread of roll call and cred. We're going to be focusing on Cable, Rachel Summers, Detective DiStefano, Detective Molina, Cyclops, and Jean Grey. Now we resume with little Nate chatting up his sister Rachel. And she wonders why he's been avoiding her of late, which he denies, but I mean, we're dealing with mind readers here, so uh, they know what they know. He asks her for help, now that the, quote, otherworld fiasco is out of the way. And I can only hope that that's a meta-reference from Jerry Duggan. I feel like uh, anytime anyone mentions the Festival of Swords in these books, it's with uh, derision or outright dismissal. And uh, I mostly agree with that sentiment. Anyway, Cable enlists Rachel to help him find those ten missing tots from back in the long ago. I mean, 
this story arc kicked off the volume of Cable, right? Which launched nearly a year ago. I mean, heck, it's been four months since we covered it here on the show, so it's a long time ago. I was uh, episode 65, so ages ago. Um, now, anyway, now before we know it, Nate and Rach have gated to Philly to rendezvous with detectives Di Stefano and Molina. And uh, it goes to show what a difficult case this is turning out to be. I mean, by the time these babies are found, they'll probably be old enough to vote. Uh, now, the techs aren't all that impressed by Rachel claiming that they doubt that she'll just be able to magically solve the case. And so, well, uh, that's kind of exactly what she does. We get a really cool page of Rachel performing her hoodoo, after which she's able to deduce the location of five of the missing ten children. And it's those Order of X kooks, which we already knew. She directs a little search party a few hours north to a weird mansion in the woods. And so, lickety-split, that's where we be. Now, the detectives are pretty wary of the situation, and they worry that if this were to go sideways, they'd likely wind up with, uh, at the very least, an unpaid vacation. Unfortunately for them, Cable and Rachel aren't about to dilly-dally. Instead, they just rush on in. Now, Cable makes his presence known immediately by uh, smashing his way through the front door. Uh, the Monsignor of the Order of X dismisses him as a false mutant and instructs his followers to take him out. Believe it or not, they are unsuccessful in this task. Our hero then rushes up a flight of stairs where he finds himself in a bit of a standoff. You see, up there is the Monsignor and four of his followers, and each of them is holding one of those missing babies. And they also have knives held to the baby's throat, so there's that too. The Big Bad warns Cable not to make a move or else the babies are going to get it. He also warns that this is not a bluff, and Cable is certain that he's not lying. Now, after telepathically checking in with Big Sis, Cable shoots all five of the cultists in their shoulders. They drop to the ground, but the babies do not, because Rachel's got them. With the babies safely deposited into the detective's arms, Cable heads over to the Big Bad to try to get some information out of them. He reads his mind, which apparently is something he couldn't have already done at this point. What he finds is that the Order of X answers to... Oh, come on, it's a cable book. Who do you think they answer to? Of course, it's Strife. Now, before he can get much more, the Monsignor bites down on some poison and offs himself. Rachel asks Nate what he found out, but he declines to share the information. She knows he's hiding something, but decides against pressing him. Now we shift to the summer house, where Rachel is recounting the events of the day with her parents. Scott and Jean are busily preparing dinner, just like, uh, I guess, all sitcom folks that, uh, that they sort of kind of become. Uh, now Cable excuses himself, claiming that he can't stay for dinner. After all, he's still got five more babies to track down. Rachel goes to follow him, informing him that she knows there's something he's keeping from her, but she's going to respect that for now. She does suggest that maybe he discuss whatever it is with Hope, though. Too bad she's currently on Mentalo's think tank, right? No, no, probably not. I mean, if that were the case, Kid Cable would already be a goopy symbiote, and so we should probably just not concern ourselves with any of that. Now, Rachel leaves Nate to his thoughts, and he punches a nearby wall. Cyclops pops his head in to warn that if it's come to the point where you're punching walls, it's probably a sign that you need a break. They chat for a bit, with Cyclops even hinting about adding Cable to his new Krakoan X-Men team, which gives Nate a great idea. 
But first, an info page. It's a letter from Sage to Beast about Nate asking for some data on Strife. Now, she's hesitant to hand it over, as it A, has to do with future events, and B, has to do with Apocalypse. And I, I, gotta, I gotta wonder, are there any Kirkoans around who don't know about Apocalypse's past? I mean, I get suppressing the more nefarious behaviors to kind of soften the blow of his being a power player in the Krakoan government. I mean, hell, we get a lot of that in our real-life government. But Apocalypse is, you know, more often than not, kind of a well-known Omega-level supervillain, so... I don't know. Uh, Now, it's also weird that Kid Cable's asking for this information here since he and his X-Force from Volume 5 of that title actually spent several issues fighting Strife. Now, I'm not sure if that's the same Strife or an alternate, but it would stand to reason that Kid Cable might have learned a thing or three about him during their confrontation, right? I mean, I just finished my X-Force Volume 5 buying spree. I finally rounded them all up, but I haven't read them, but I've looked at the covers, and Strife's on a bunch of them, so I gotta figure he, he at least shows up. Anyway, we wrap up at the Green Lagoon with Nate asking for some help from a friend. And after uh, probably about a page and a half of hinting around at who this is, uh, the big reveal is that he's chatting up Domino, who last we saw being attacked by a sea creature after it ate her foster dog, which we will be diving back into next episode when we take a look at the next issue of X-Force. But that's where we leave Cable. Let's let's talk about the uh, the old dead man walking here. Um... Got to start with uh, just the unfortunate piece of business it is that Exitens uh, really threw a wrench into the flow of this series. I mean, this was a good issue. This was a good issue, but I mean, after it's been just so stop-start with all the uh, the sword stuff, the uh, the Exa sword stuff, it feels kind of weird that it was like literally on pause. You know, I mean, we've got these kids missing, and it's like nobody bothered to look for them because of the Festival of Swords. It's it's weird inside the book, it's kind of jarring outside the book, because, I mean, we left off this story a long time ago. But that's not something we're going to hold against the uh, creative team here. I don't think they have a whole lot of say in the big, you know, line-wide crossovers that uh, that permeate the, I was going to say the X-Books, but it's it's all comics. It's, uh, you know, I don't think uh, Duggan and Noto would be able to stop that even if they wanted to. So we're not going to hold that against them here. And instead, we'll just look at this as a uh, an issue of Cable. And as an issue of Cable, it was really good. I, I really enjoyed seeing him and Rachel together here without the folks, without the sitcom dad. And it just seemed like they, uh, they really gelled well. I really dug it. Um, Rachel here felt a little bit... She was being presented a little bit softer than she has been, I feel. Um... Here she's depicted as just a like a caring older sister who's uh, you know just trying to help out her little brother here, and I really liked it. I also liked her suggesting that Nate maybe chat up Hope, and I I gotta plead ignorance here. I don't know if uh, there's been any sort of uh, getting to know you scene between Kid Cable and Hope, because I mean they 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 share a lot of history. Like Hope's entire history is tangled in Cable here, as we saw. In the uh, extermination uh, miniseries or the extermination epilogue that we covered on X Lapse Nation not too long ago, but I don't know if she's met 
Kid Cabler actually sat down and, you know, had a chat with him here. Uh, I don't know if that might have occurred in that X-Force Volume 5, but I think it could be an interesting scene if it, you know, of course, if it hasn't already happened. Um, Worth noting, if you were to look at the cover of this issue of Cable, it's quite evocative of um, early issues of, uh, probably would have been Cable Volume 3, Three, volume two, maybe whichever one had him traipsing around time with hope, trying to evade Bishop. Where you just have Cable holding his big gun and holding a baby. And here on the cover of this very issue, we have Kid Cable, not carrying his sword, but carrying a big gun and a baby. So it really gave me uh, like a flashback to that old series there. And I don't know if that was intentional. Uh, I kind of hope it was. Nope. Unintended, but uh, I think that could be a really cool angle, and uh, I look forward to seeing where uh, where this goes. If if Cable is going to stop with Domino, like he recruited Domino to help him out, or if he's going to recruit himself, a, you know, a little team here. I mean, he's I don't even want to say that he knows the Fallen Angels, but uh, I guess that is something that's out there. We'll have to wait and see, I suppose. I suppose we could talk about the Domino scene as well. I mean, it wasn't a big surprise. It wasn't a big shock. It was pretty clear it was going to be Domino. What was a little bit weird to me was how um, furtively Domino was looking at Kid Cable in that last panel here. Like, I don't know how old Kid Cable is, but uh, she was looking at him kind of flirtatiously. At least I thought so. I mean, it could just be me uh, reading into things that aren't there, but it it looked a little... uh... (laughs) It looked a little strange. Um, what else? What else? Uh, Strife. Strife. Um, I am. I'm a big Strife fan. I mean, that's that's right out of the wheelhouse of my, uh, you know, the the genesis of my comics collecting career was the whole who is Cable, who is Strife, why do they look the same, you know? And then going into the Executioner song, which one is the is really Baby Nathan? Because I mean, we were told one, then we were told the other, and it was uh, it was an interesting time, and it's a time that uh, I remember quite fondly, and uh, it really showed me what comics can be. You know, they're not just... I mean, they are just stories, but at the same time, they're not just stories. They're things that you can think about and talk about and argue about and just wonder about and uh, have all your expectations, you know, just uh, thrown up in the air, and you just don't know which way it's going to go. So, Sea and Strife... I mean, this is a Chris thing. I, it just tickled me a little bit. What I don't get, and I mentioned this during the synopsis, I don't know that Nate doesn't know anything about Strife. Um, I don't know if... Uh, is this the Nate who was raised by Red and Slim? I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's uh, That's just part of my lapsedness uh, seeping through, unfortunately. But I know that... For several issues of that uh, previous volume of X-Force, there was a lot of strife in there. So I would think Cable would know, Kid Cable would know a a thing or two about the character. Um, What else? What else? Uh, The opening scene, uh, the Gorgon Memorial. Now, I'm glad they did it. Um, I don't think it would have been too terribly hard for an editorial note there to tell us exactly just when in the hell this story is taking place, because... uh, I mean, it almost has to be before uh, Sword Number One, right? I gotta figure they're probably gonna cram this whole cable story in as fitting before Sword Number One, unless you know something else happens. It just seems strange. I mean, Sword Number Two would have come out a week before this issue, and it ended with a cliffhanger of Cable as a uh, 
I don't know if he's a symbiote or just has a symbiote shell. I don't know <laughs> all the ins and outs of King in Black, but you would almost figure if you're reading along that if you end on that cliffhanger and Cable comes out the next week, that you get a continuation of that story. But uh, nope, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Instead, we get a leftover from the pre uh, X of Tens uh, crossover event where uh, we're just trying to make things work as best we can, it seems. But, you know, I, I complain about editorial footnotes not being there all the time. This is just another case of that. I suppose I could also talk about uh, Callisto having her eye patch on the wrong eye. I thought maybe I could, uh, you know, no prize it by saying maybe it's that guy Erg. You know that other Morlock with the eye patch, but no, he's got the he's got a patch on the same eye as Callisto. Uh, also, Quentin Quire being there, I gotta assume that's a mistake. Unless, I mean, we'll be reading X Force next episode. Maybe we'll find something else out. But I could have sworn he was either dead in Russia or dead in Russia. Now, overall, if we're able to kind of detach ourselves from all the odd. Uh, linear storytelling, you know, the continuity bits. Um, this was a fine issue. I really enjoyed it. I liked seeing Cable and Rachel together. I like that we're picking up the the baby's subplot from forever ago. It's nice to get to feel like we're getting towards a little bit of closure on that. And knowing what little we know about what's going to occur in the final issue of this book, issue 12, I'm really looking forward to seeing all these pieces fall into place, and I hope you are as well. But uh, that'll do it for the discussion of Cable Number 7. Before we go, let's hop right into the mailbag. And we're going to start with Damien, who's talking about X-Factor Number 6. And he says, Reading a new issue of X-Factor is joyous. As you say, they're producing what is in many ways a very traditional X-book, but they're doing it in, a ver- in very creative ways. Leo Williams and David Baldion are really playing with the comics page. Scenes like Eyeboy analyzing the body or the lie detector results play with the juxtaposition of images and words in ways that would only work in comics. And I love seeing that. And yes, absolutely. I think I mentioned the uh, Eyeboy scene uh, as looking really, really cool, but I didn't, I didn't know if I was supposed to be uh, picking up any clues or hints uh, in the imagery. Uh, regardless if I was supposed to do that or not, it was still a very, very nice-looking page. And uh, you're you're right. It's uh, the way that uh, they're doing this is something that would only work in this medium. And we saw it in the um, previous issue with uh, with the cross-section of the Boneyard, which bled right into that page of the Boneyard, where we saw people in different uh, different levels and different rooms doing their uh, doing their thing. It's really, really good the way that they are. Uh, Absolutely just playing with the uh, the language of comic storytelling. It's, it's really, really cool. Uh, Damien continues, Giving every character their own moment in every issue is really adding texture to the book. So many X-Books have tended to foreground one or two characters at a time, but it's far more involving if everyone gets something to do. Everyone has a personality that's distinct from the others. You mentioned that even Amazing Baby gets a moment in the spotlight, but I was more surprised to see Kyle, a.k.a. Mr. Northstar, given some personality. And yeah, you're right. Uh, he uh, he points out that uh, Northstar sounds like a dad when he's talking to Prodigy about uh, his little cadaver farm. <laughs> and you're right. It's kind of crazy to me that, I mean, all these books get the same amount of pages, right? They uh, They only have so many pages to get their stuff in. And time in and time out with X-Factor here, we are seeing 
bits and pieces of every single one of our players. They all get a moment. They all get a personality beat. And it's uh, this is the way comics are supposed to be done. And it's really, really refreshing to see something this traditional occurring during current year. Uh, totally unexpected. Totally uh, just a wonderful surprise. Absolutely. Uh, Damien continues... You rightfully single out David Baldion's faces for praise. They're very stylized and in some ways generic, but he expresses emotion so well. You always know what's going on. And I gotta say, I always comment that uh, Aurora is in various state of roll eyes every time we see her. Because she is, right? She is always rolling her eyes in this book. But it's that that showed me... How emotive David Baldion's art is It was seeing the roll eyes time and again And how each time we saw the roll eyes It was a little bit different You know, it wasn't just a dismissal like roll eyes usually are It was like a pondering or a Or like a flirty thing Or just uh, just being pensive in the roll eye it's, it's so weird, but I mean, that's what that's what tipped me off to uh, Baldion's faces here Because, I mean, he's got some cartoony characters to draw He's got Eye Boy, you know How do you draw Eye Boy in a way that is emotive? And yet, he does And that's something I doubt I would have noticed If not for uh, being captivated by Aurora's roll eyes <laughs> Now Damien continues The mystery around Siren's death was really well told. I love the fact that the X-Factor Investigations plotlines are not forgotten, and that Lorna's relationships from that era are key to her character. Just her reaction to Siren being drunk is given so much meaning. Lorna is shocked and concerned for her friend, and all this is achieved without having to present a potted history on a text page. And yeah, this was this was very very well done here. Um, I had forgotten many of those plot lines myself. It's been so long since I've uh, since I've read them. It was one of my favorite books when it was coming out, but I guess it's kind of one of those out of sight, out of mind things. And uh, the X Men have just been all up and down ever since. Uh, I don't know where any of our. I mean, where's where's Layla Miller? Is she still a, a thing? Is she still around? I know that Jamie has died at least once. Between then and now, it's, Guido was king of hell for a minute. It's weird stuff, weird stuff, and I've forgotten most of it. But it is nice to see that here, and it is a you know it's a surefire sign that our writers are actually you know doing their due diligence. They're reading and they're building on the past here, and they're using the past to contextualize the present, and it makes everything feel that much more important. Add to the fact that this uh, wasn't just text page after text page, uh, yeah, very, very well done. Damien continues, I completely get your point about the idealistic young policewoman versus the grizzled bigot. It is a cliché, and there can be some value in challenging that or subverting such clichés. On the other hand, the current biggest non-COVID news story in the UK is about male police officers attacking and murdering women when they're off-duty, so a bigoted middle-aged policeman seems very on point from my perspective. Wow, that is certainly news to me. I did not know that at all. You all know me, I'm not a terribly worldly fellow I don't follow much of current events But yeah, that's that's pretty wild, isn't it? Uh, now Damien wraps up with Anyway, until I stop sniggering childishly At the concept of a bush bagel <laughs> Make mine X-lapsed 
And it's funny, I didn't notice any humor in Bush Bagel until just this minute. So <laughs> thank you for that, Damien. And also, thank you for writing in to discuss that issue. Uh, next, Evan's going to talk about X-Force number 15. He says, are you sure X-Force got their book back? <laughs> Which is a reference to uh, me perhaps being a little Pollyanna-ish and suggesting that... Uh, after X of Tens was over, that uh, Wolverine might give X-Force back their book, since he took it over for a few issues for the, uh, for the Festival of Swords. Uh, now, Evan continues, So the Russians were such a threat that we made Colossus look like a bad guy because he's Russian, and so is his brother. Why only bring him in and not Magic? Part of it's because they could, because Colossus didn't fight. Magic would have taken X-Force down, with the possible exception of Wolverine, and done a ton of collateral damage. Are we supposed to believe that she didn't know about this? The Festival of Swords handbook reminded me that they'd been on the outs, but I don't think she would have been okay with this. Maybe it had something to do with that mysterious mission from number one, that, but that was barely even hinted at. I think you're right there. I think this has a lot to do with that, uh, with that mission that we know so little about. All we know is that there was suffering. Right? That's all we've been told. And, I mean, we're up to issue... I mean, we're about to cover issue 16 of X-Force next episode, and that was before issue 1. And we still really don't have any kind of answer on that. Uh, it is very, very strange. I think that's definitely part of why they're a little suspect of him, other than just the Russian profiling, of course. Uh, as for not bringing magic in, you hit the nail on the head. I'm sure that... Uh, that she would have taken most of them down. And also, I just feel like they probably just didn't want to cross that bridge narratively. They didn't want to bring magic into this because magic's got other stuff to do. I mean, it's hard to take it seriously if they exclude her, but I can see why they would do it. Now, Evan continues, As for Beast's killing of Omega Red, I think it's just the devaluing of life that you mentioned in the Age of Resurrection. I mean, in New Mutants number 14, No More Religion Wolvesbane sounds cool with accidentally killing young mutants in training sessions so they could fully explore their powers. I don't think that Beast could have convinced Professor X that Omega Red accidentally had an explosive cardiac arrest, so Chuck had to know that Arcady kicked the bucket. Now, you see, the more we talk about the devaluing of life here, is it's like every time we talk about it, it's just another reminder that our characters are okay killing one another. And I, this has been coming up a lot lately. Uh, either that or it's just been like happening a lot more lately, where our characters are just willingly killing one another. Uh, that scene in New Mutants you referenced there, it's... Uh, I don't remember which of the trainees it was that asked uh, asked uh, Rain about uh, you know pushing themselves to the limit and how that might kill them and they and they were told that that's old fashioned thinking because you know that's not those aren't the rules anymore so if you try a tandem offense with a partner and it winds up killing you eh, no big deal you'll just come back so I mean yeah that's that's very very troubling I mean we had Storm. Uh, do Callisto the favor in the Crucible uh, not too long ago. It's it's strange, and, and it, we keep getting these reminders of how different these characters are right now. And I suppose it's easy just to look past it and just realize that okay, there is no death anymore. But when you stop and think about it, and you actually witness these scenes, and I mean, we didn't witness Beast yanking Omega Red's heart out, but we did see him with a smoldering hole in his chest. 
It's just a reminder of what they actually went through What they actually did to another person And it's it's one of those things I think we're going to have trouble walking back uh, This is one of those where I don't know that we can put this genie back in the bottle Outside of a tremendous reboot retcon sort of a situation here And uh, you all know my feelings on those I don't want one of those But at this point, it... Uh, It doesn't look like we'll be able to walk a lot of this stuff back Now Evan continues I will say I like the characterization of Colossus and his Savage Land girlfriend That's true, that's true They have a a neat little relationship Um, She's very protective of him And uh, he seems to appreciate that I I do like that we're finally off the uh, Kitty and Peter, you know, merry-go-round At least for now (laughs) I mean, that's refreshing, that's different because uh, ever since uh, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer guy came in, that's that's just been all Kitty and Peter since then. So, except when she went off to the other Peter, I guess I don't know. Now Evan continues. I went off on a tangent and didn't finish my thoughts about the Russians. They were a big threat, and then boom, we're on to vampires and not so worried about the Russians anymore. Yeah, <laughs> we're worried about the vampire nation now. Very uh, all over the place And it's kind of scattershot Because I'm sure we're not done with the Russians Uh, I'm sure we'll be back with them before long here Maybe uh, Andy or Adam Whichever Qbert brother is doing the the Russian story Maybe he's too busy And it's like, ah, let's shift gears We'll bring Bogdanovic back in And we'll do the vampires for a few months Then we'll bring the Russians back later Who knows? Now, Evan wraps up with, I may use my weight on the Marvel Unlimited sliding timescale to power rank the Dawn of X series. X-Force probably won't be high. <laughs> and I hope you do. I hope you do power rank the, uh, the Dawn of X series. Uh, I will do the same as well. Um, and yeah, X-Force is probably going to be probably in the middle, I'd say. Because, I mean, we do have... Of course, Fallen Angels And, uh, I mean, Excalibur's been a chore a lot of the time So, it'll at least be better than those two But thank you so, so much for writing in, Evan And uh, we're going to wrap up with a piece of breaking mail here I just got this one hitting the uh, the old DM box here It's from our friend Jesse And he's got some recommendations for some non-X-X stuff For us to cover here on the show He says, Happy Hump Day. You've asked about some other books to possibly look at for the show, so here are a few. A book to maybe put on your radar are the Marvel Voices one-shots. Each have at least one X-Men Hoxpox-era story in them. Marvel Voices, the first one, has a Forge story that supposedly has the kids that go on to become the Children of the Atoms cast. So maybe that one will work best before taking on Children of the Atom number one. Marvel Voices Indigenous Voices has a Moonstar and Wolfsbane story. I remember other X-related stories in this, but this is the only one from the Krakoa era. And Marvel Voices Legacy has a Storm short story and a Domino story that doesn't give a specified timeline. So that's all great. That's all good stuff here. I saw those Voices books, but I assumed that they were... um, more of the evergreen sort of variety It was just going to be stories that could be timeless For a, uh, I guess there would be a Voices collection I was, I was assuming I didn't realize that they'd be contemporary At least, you know, with our current Krakoan uh, landscape So I will definitely be grabbing those And we'll be discussing them here on the show I'll see how they uh, 
If they're long, then we'll just do one at a time. If they're short, we'll probably just do one, you know, great big uh, voices episode just covering all of the uh, X-Men Hoxpox era anthologies. So I think that'll be a that'll be a good time. It's uh, those are stories I probably wouldn't have grabbed. So thank you so much for that recommendation and uh, I'm going to be heading out to the shop probably in the next couple of days, so I'll keep my eyes peeled for them. I know I saw one of them in a recent Marvel preview, so maybe they're not all out yet, but I will, uh, I'll do my best to grab whatever is out there, and we will definitely get them slotted on the schedule. So thank you so, so much, Jesse. And anybody else who has any recommendations for some non-XX stuff, stuff that's relevant to the show, relevant to Krakoa, relevant to the current status quo, please... Please let me know And if you'd like to uh, just reach out and talk about the books Talk about the show, talk about whatever you want You could reach me as well You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics Or you could shoot me an email over to WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com You can find blog posts and show notes Over at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com Also the home of X-Lapsed Origins Where we take a look at some seminal story beats That are still relevant to this very day And help give us a little bit of context We might need uh, for some of these uh, more nebulous concepts Like Otherworld, for example Which is where we're starting We've got an extended look At the early Captain Britain stories Which introduce a lot of The bits and bobs that we just read through With uh, Exitens, uh, Saturnine Mad Jim Jaspers, The Furies All that good stuff We're covering it on the blog in a series of articles Maybe one day it'll be an audio thing uh, but maybe not, I don't know yet But uh, it's there for you if you want it Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com I believe we have six or seven articles up to this point uh, You can also go to xlaps.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com For all the show stuff You can chat us up on Facebook Where we've just gotten an influx of uh, several new members We're 90s X-Men on Facebook And I just realized I can send invites Which I didn't realize was a thing I could do So... If you know me and you're not a part of the group, I might send you an invite I mean, you don't have to join, we'll still be friends But uh, I just didn't know it was an option for me So, that's a thing uh, Also, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs You can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com Available on all your noise aggregation devices and applications And, uh, well, since you're listening to this, you probably already know that But feel free to spread the word I, I would uh, appreciate any help in that department Because I am not good at that But that's where we'll leave it for today I want to thank you all so, so much for listening It really means a lot to me And until next time, as always I'll talk to you again real soon See ya Oh